So today, I'm going to share with you guys what happened to me when I was in Japan. So traveling is one of the benefits, obviously, of being an English teacher. And this was actually a long time before people thought about teaching English online. So in order to tell you about what happened to me when I was in Japan, I need to start from when I was in Korea because that was my first English teaching job abroad. So I was sitting on the couch over at my friend Brian's place and he was telling me, hey man, you need to go over to Japan. You keep talking about it all the time. Because at this point, all of my experience had just been in Korea. And I'd spent maybe a little under two years in Korea learning how to speak Korean, working a job, and I think that it was time for a change. Although, in retrospect, I think that probably I could have left or could have stayed in Korea for a really long time if I wanted to. So I bought myself a ticket, and I don't know if it was a round trip ticket or not, but I went over to Japan. And the reason why I say I don't know if it was a round trip ticket or not, because most countries, at least in Asia, they want you to buy a ticket in and a ticket out. And then you can always probably change the date of the ticket when you're going to be going back out. Nonetheless, I was over in Japan. I arrived over at Narita Airport and I went over to Tokyo, as I remember. Back in those days, I don't want to say that internet wasn't really that convenient, but I remember going online. And actually, before that, though, it was kind of interesting. I would go to places and I wouldn't even have a place to stay. I'd have maybe one or two bags with me. And actually, at that time, I moved all my stuff from Korea and I think I went to Japan. So, I went on a computer over at the airport to go for, look for a couple of things. One was where am I going to stay that night? And two was I went to go over to a website to go see if I could get a job. I actually just went over there with no job, no nothing. So the first time I remember going over to a station in Tokyo. And actually the station's called Hibariga Oka, which is actually northwest from Ikebukuro on the Yamanote line. And for those of you who these words sound kind of foreign and weird, I mean, it's Japanese. So I went to Hibariga Oka and I remember meeting this guy and he told me, okay, this is where our hostel is. And it was like the weirdest hostel I've ever been to because the guy was hardly ever there, but it was really hidden and out of the way. I remember meeting some of the most interesting and strangest characters being in that hostel. For example, I think these guys were from Denmark and drinking their alcohol that they got, I think it was from Poland or something. I just remember waking up the next day and having no idea where the 100 bucks was that was supposed to be in my wallet. You know, you can meet a lot of different people when you're in a hostel. And Japan attracts a lot of different kinds. 
I even remember meeting a guy who was a second or third degree black belt, biggest Indian guy I ever met in a hostel. He told me that every year, every two years, he comes back to Japan in order to study karate. Nonetheless, this was my base for a while. I felt pretty at ease over at this place in Hibariga Oka, over in this hostel, even though the person who owned the place was hardly ever there. And then I found myself a job. And the job was actually north of Tokyo in a place called Ibaraki. Now, I don't expect anybody to know all of these places because, of course, it's Japan. But Hibariga Oka, at that point in time, which there was, it was connected to the Yamanote Sen, Sen meaning line. It was about 20 stops from Ueno Station in, I guess, maybe the central part of Tokyo. Forgive me. But the point is that the Ueno Station was the northernmost station on the Yamanote Sen, which is the green line in Tokyo. And traveling on that train, going to, I believe the name of the station was Tichura. That has got to be the most hardest Japanese station to pronounce. So I went 20 stops and I remember meeting Mr. M. Believe it or not, this is what everybody called him. Even his daughter sometimes when they, when she would talk about her dad, she would always say Mr. M, which is the strangest thing. So what happened with Mr. M, not to just go off on too much of a tangent, but he actually was studying English a lot. He's a Japanese guy. And through his travels, he actually met somebody who was from Finland. And I don't know if he moved over there or not for a while, but he actually named his wife. His name is School after his wife, who he had met from Finland. It was one of the best jobs I ever had. I actually rented a car from him and he told me that I would just have to pay the money back after my paycheck would come through. So I met with him, I talked with him. It was basically an Eikaiwa, an Eikaiwa, which was an English conversation school. So I couldn't walk to my school, even though in Korea, usually what happens was they would rent you a house close to the school. But in this case, my school was a little bit far away. So I wasn't really able to walk. So they got me a car. I remember it was a Suzuki Alto. Maybe if it wasn't from Suzuki, but it was an Alto, which for those of you who don't really know about cars, which I didn't at the time, is a really small hatchback, which you can probably fit, fit two and a half people at most inside. So I drive to work, I go teach the classes. I remember I probably had maybe one or two classes on the weekend. It was really difficult for me to try to get down to Tokyo, which is what I wanted to do because at the time, all I wanted to do was party. I had lots of different types of students. I even had some old ladies that I used to teach. And I think they canceled my class because they didn't agree with my opinions about some things. Back then, as an English teacher, I didn't know how to keep my mouth shut. So that's where I was for eight months. I was over in Ibaraki Ken, teaching English. 
I even had some classes where I taught kids in the morning or in the afternoon after they got out of their school. Those were really difficult at the time. I didn't know how to teach kids at all. I was one of those English teachers that didn't really like to teach kids very much. I was one of those English teachers, and now I'm the total opposite. I love to teach kids because I know that income is stable, at least from my point. And I know how to talk to them. So Japan was a pretty crazy ride. I remember one night, I partied all night when I was in Tokyo because I couldn't really go home all the way back in Ibaraki. It was pretty far. And if I was going to take a taxi, it would probably take me $100. Probably the same $100 that I lost when I was drinking with those guys from Denmark, drinking their Polish alcohol. Nonetheless, I partied one night and I remember getting out of the bar pretty late, maybe around two o'clock in the morning. By that time, definitely there was no transit at all. And my plan was to wait it out until the transit had opened, but my body couldn't take it. I was pretty tired. I was really, let's say that I just wanted to go collapse somewhere. So my first idea was to go over to McDonald's because it was open all night it doesn't matter if it was that McDonald's or a restaurant like that it just mattered that it was 24 hours little did I know that if you go to a fast food restaurant that's 24 hours in Japan and you decide to go take a nap there at two o'clock in the morning somebody will polite, politely nudge you and say no you can't sleep here in Japanese so when I was warned that I wasn't able to sleep in the restaurant at two o'clock in the morning, I think I decided just to stumble my way outside. And I figured, you know what, it's Tokyo. So I'm just gonna go lay outside for an hour, which is exactly what I did. I just found some bench to go on and I just laid there for 30 minutes or an hour. And it was great. I felt relaxed. And then I woke up again. And for those of you who don't know, the Tokyo subway line doesn't open until 5.30 in the morning, maybe 5 o'clock. And finally, when I had the chance to go onto the subway, I decided I was going to sleep on the subway. And this is actually an interesting point about the subway in Tokyo. So the subway in Tokyo, the Yamanote-san anyway, because there's a lot of different subway lines. Actually, just as an introduction to Tokyo subway, it's a huge mishmash of a bunch of different subway lines all together. It's like somebody took a bunch of spaghetti and just threw it on the table and randomly let it just spill out all over the place. Nonetheless, going back to my old trusty Yamanote-san, I went on some random stop and I decided to sleep on the train. Now the Yamanote Sen is a big circle. So from that point, I went all the way around how many stops, whether it be 20 or 25 stops, I don't know exactly the amount of stops it was now, until I came back to exactly the same stop I was at before. And when you go around in one circle on the Yamanote Sen, it actually takes exactly one hour 
So as I was able to go and nap for an hour on the subway, go roundabout to the exact same point that where I was, and I came out of the subway and I didn't have to pay anything. It's a little bit different when you go in the subway in Tokyo as opposed to say Canada. In Canada, they have kind of a one size fits all type of idea where you pay $3 or $4 and you can basically go wherever you want. In Tokyo, it just depends on the distance. So I came out of the subway station fully rested and I didn't pay anything. Some people sleep in internet cafes in Tokyo. And I wasn't really, I didn't really know anything about that until I actually tried it for myself. Now they have food there, which you can buy that's extra, but they have unlimited sugary drinks, coffee, tea, as much as you want. And the price, well, it's probably half as much as you would pay to go sleep in a hotel. So sometimes that's what people like. You get a computer, you have a nice comfortable chair, and then you pass out. The thing is though that in these internet cafes, usually they have a little bit of air conditioning so it can get cold. And they have no ceilings on each of the rooms. So it's pretty easy for somebody who's snoring in the next room over for them to bother you while you're sleeping. It gets really noisy. So another interesting story that happened to me when I was in Japan. Speaking of these small Japanese cars, for some reason or another, I decided to get into a car with a drunk driver. And this drunk driver, she was a lady, and I didn't really think anything of it. I knew that she'd been drinking, and I got into the car anyway. And I remember us driving and driving until we actually got to an intersection. What's really interesting about this intersection is that there were no lights and there's no stop signs. So for some reason, some fool who is designing this intersection forgot to put the stop signs there. And I remember getting hit by another car, spinning out in her little car, wondering what was going on and whether I was gonna live or not. It feels like time was stopping. For anybody who's ever been in a car accident, sometimes it just feels like the time is just stopping while you're spinning around or whatever happened to you. But I know, or at least then, back then I knew that I was okay. So we spun out and I remember stopping and opening the door and being so elated because I was okay. I even took a picture of myself next to the damaged part of the car, even though the lady who was driving the car was really upset because for me, I was really happy. I was happy to be alive. When I was in Japan, I took the Japanese proficiency test. And back then I took the level three, level three proficiency test. And for those of you who don't know, in Japan, level four is the lowest one. So I took the second lowest one. Then there's level two and level one. 
And level one, I guess you're basically, at, at that point, you're a native Japanese speaker. So I took level three and I went to Tokyo University. I do remember the name. It's not Tokyo University, it's Tokyo. And I went there on my day off, my only day off. We signed up online, I paid the fees, I went and I did the test. And I don't remember how I felt when I was actually in the test, but I remember coming out knowing that I failed. So with these Asian language tests, usually what happens is they'll mail you something later saying that you failed or you passed, and obviously I'd failed and failed miserably. I didn't study enough. I didn't know enough Japanese characters. I thought my Japanese was okay because I was able to talk to everybody in Japanese. I mean, not deeply. I probably sounded like a junior high school kid when I was talking in Japanese, but that's about it. So yeah, that's about, that's everything. Except for, you know what? Let me tell you guys about when I was in, I remember over the Christmas break when I was working in Ibaraki, I actually found some place where I could train in Aikido. And I don't know if you guys know what Aikido is, but Aikido, they say, is kind of like a gentle way, not like Judo. Because nobody punches, nobody kicks, nobody aggresses against anybody. You use your opponent's energy against them. And I studied Aikido already. But because I was in Ibaraki, I was able to go out and there was a place called Iwama, which is the base of where Aikido comes from. And it's actually in Ibaraki, which is the province. So over the course of the Christmas break, I was able to go there for two weeks. Hardest training of my life. Basically training in Aikido for an hour, three times for an hour every day, except for maybe Tuesday. And I think maybe on the weekends, maybe there was one class. Best time of my life, but hardest training. Learning Aikido with one of the masters. So for those of you who don't know who created Aikido, the name of the guy is Murehe Ushiba. Murehe Ushiba, Ushiba Sensei. So he actually had a student named Saito, Saito Sensei. And my teacher was a guy named Nimoto, Nimoto Sensei, I do remember him. I wonder if he's still alive. He was the stockiest, biggest Japanese guy I ever met in my life. And he was so humble and so nice, and he had the best smile, but he had amazing Aikido. If anybody ever grabbed this guy, they'd fall flat on their face, 100%. This guy, if you just saw him in regular street clothes, you think he's just some guy. But he was like this superhero in Aikido. This guy, he traveled to basically every place in the world, taught hundreds, even thousands maybe of students in the art of Aikido. And that definitely was the highlight of my experience in Japan. I probably have a lot more stories about Japan, but those are some of the biggest ones. If you guys have any questions and let me know. I definitely would like to talk more about Japan because Japan is one of my favorite places in the world. Right now I'm in Taiwan. It's a great place too. So this is Mike here. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I'll see you guys in the next one.